today on Ag News Daily. Yeah, if they've got risk on the table, they immediately remove that risk. Just, just to kind of step back and see what's going to happen. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Mike Pearson here, co-host of the Ag News Daily Podcast, joined as ever by co-host Delaney Howell. Delaney, how are you doing today? I'm good, Mike. It is Veterans Day today. It is Veterans, so we remember and thank all of those who have taken the time out of their lives to serve and protect us and keep us free here in this great country. So hats off to all of them. Because of it being Veterans Day, we will not be having any USDA reports today, listeners. They will be coming out tomorrow, so stay tuned for, uh, for crop progress and um, export inspections dropping tomorrow, Delaney Howell. That's right. But the markets are still open, so we're still doing a podcast. And Mike, I have a fun fact because I know you've seen this a lot when you travel to speak at various events, and I've just seen it on Twitter and talking at various events too, and that's just the amount of people within rural America that serve in our military. I wanted to look up the statistic itself. And so this is according to the latest U.S. Census Bureau from 2015, but about 25% of rural America, or about 25% of the veterans that live within the United States come from rural America. Yes, yep, I've heard that statistic, and it is amazing. We continue to see a lot of pride in this country, in rural America specifically. So big hats off. If any of our listeners are veterans or active military, know that we appreciate you and we appreciate your service. Absolutely, we appreciate them. But, uh, Veterans Day today makes a little slower of a news day, Mike. What do you have going on in the world of news? Well, I've got news for all of our listeners in Switzerland. Um, They made a decision earlier this year. This is just one of those stories that just jumped out at me. Apparently, Delaney, Switzerland has a strategic stockpile of a commodity, a food-type commodity. Any guesses as to what Switzerland might be stockpiled. Oh, cheese. Good guess. Tough to stockpile cheese, though. You know, you get the frozen yeah, block. I suppose that's true. And, uh, you know, Switzerland, right there in Europe, they can get access to plenty of cheese. This is a commodity that they maybe have a tougher time accessing. Hmm. Um, is it, and you say it's a food commodity. It kind of. It's an oh. essential with most breakfast foods. Butter? Coffee. Oh. Yes, so Switzerland had decided back in the uh, early part of 2019 that, in fact, it was in April, that they were no longer going to stockpile coffee. They've been doing this for decades. They've got strategic stockpiles of coffee, sugar, edible oils, and animal feeds. And basically they've done this because they've always been concerned about having access to coffee supplies. You know, Switzerland being landlocked, you know, if there ever a war that breaks out on the European continent, all of a sudden they're cut off from coffee supplies supplies. But nowadays, they want to keep this stockpile around. It's a 15,000 ton metric ton stockpile. They want to keep this stockpile around because they're worried that low river levels on the Rhine River and, uh, you know, a changing global climate might impact their supply of coffee. And apparently the Swiss don't want to go a day without their black gold. I figured the other commodity that they would think about stockpiling would be chocolate. Because I've heard chocolate prices could rise substantially worldwide. Good point. Good point, Delaney. Maybe you ought to call out there to uh, the Swiss government and let them know, you know, I will be happy to oversee that chocolate stockpile. (laughs) Yeah, I would be too. 
I would be too. Yeah. So what other news do you have for us, Eleni? Well, Mike, I don't think this is news to anybody, but it has rained, or excuse me, not rained, snowed again across parts of the Midwest and the NOAA, the uh, National Weather Outlook there, is forecasting cold temperatures throughout this winter. They are saying it might be a milder winter, but it's definitely not going to be a warm winter by any means. And uh, this is just tied to a story talking about their propane shortage, or not really shortage, but transportation issue that we've seen. And now they're saying they're looking at, well, if propane is in short supply, anhydrous may also be in short supply as soon as well. Interesting. All right. Well, hopefully, uh, you know, I know we're seeing more and more growers go away from fall applied anhydrous, but it is still a crucial part of the corn growing rotation. Boy, hopefully those folks don't get caught up and have to change their crop mix as we get into 2020 just because they can't get access to uh, anhydrous. Yeah, it seems crazy to think about the 2020 growing season already, but I mean, some people usually plan ahead, you know, if they need to buy seed or inputs early on this year's calendar year i mean you bet it's crazy plus you get the deep discounts when you buy early you know right um even though i think uh in my discussions with bankers from around the midwest it is going to be difficult for a lot of folks to make those purchases this early in the year just because this has been such a struggle financially for so many different growers it has also been a struggle it turns out for an arkansas-based meat company Simmons Prepared Foods announced earlier today that they are recalling just about 2 million pounds of poultry products that may be contaminated with extraneous materials, specifically metal. Um, The Food Safety and Inspection Service is labeling this a Class 1 recall, which means that it is a health hazard situation where there is the reasonable probability that eating this product will cause serious adverse health consequences. So listeners, pay attention. These products were shipped to Oklahoma, Alabama, Arizona, Arkansas, California, Georgia, Minnesota, and Pennsylvania. These are under the brand name of Simmons Prepared Foods, and these items were, they bear the number P-1949, P-486, or P-5837 inside that USDA uh, mark of inspection. So if, you have, uh, if you've got any of those Simmons uh, poultry products in your freezer, take a look and uh, make sure they don't have those numbers because, uh, you know, you don't want to be biting down and come into a contact with, with metal. Well, maybe they do. I mean, if that's something you're into, then maybe you can seek out these particular numbers and get your uh, your metal fill. Yeah. Get that iron intake up. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, it helps with, uh, oh, shoot. Iron anemia. Levels? Yeah, anemia. Yeah. Huh. But we're not doctors, and we don't recommend you eat any. Yeah, metal. no, this is not a this is not a um, recommendation by any means. By listening to this podcast, you have agreed to hold us harmless for any <laughs> pain or discomfort that uh-huh. may come to you by following any of the advice presented on the Agnews Daily podcast. Yeah, not just about health, but really advice about anything. Right? Yeah. No, we're terrible, terrible people to give advice, take advice <laughs> from. But we do talk to people that are very smart, yes. and we will be talking to Mr. Garrett Toy here in just a bit about the markets. But Delaney, I imagine you've still got some more news for us. Well, you know, I have a little bit of news related to the trade corner, so to speak. We saw last week and last week on Thursday, I believe it was, that the Chinese government 
had released a statement saying that things were going well between the U.S. and China and that both parties had agreed to begin phasing out tariffs um, after that phase one of the trade deal is signed. But just 24 hours later, President Trump tweeted out something and made comments to reporters that said, I haven't agreed to anything. China would like to get somewhat of a rollback. Not a complete rollback because they know I won't do it, but uh, he's saying he hasn't agreed to anything. Yes, yeah, kind of put that on the back burner definitely was a, a bit of a blow in the hog market on Friday after that was reported. But, uh, you know, I guess we'll just have to wait and see what this text looks like if there ever actually is a text yeah. of this phase one agreement. Yeah, but we do have a text, of course, for the USMCA agreement. And apparently, Chairman Colin Peterson, who's of course the Democratic House Ag Chairman, told reporters on, I believe it was either today or Friday, that he spoke with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and she said she wants to get the USMCA vote on the fast track. That is good news, and it ties in with something coming from the National Pork Producers Council. They've launched a new campaign a new campaign called It's Pork O'Clock Somewhere, and uh, the idea is to highlight the importance of USMCA. Uh, they're going to be talking about the many different ways in which pork is enjoyed across uh, North America. And uh, David Herring, who is the NPPC president and a pork producer from North Carolina, said... The ratification of USMCA is the top priority for U.S. pork producers, and there's no better way to highlight its importance than a campaign that illustrates how pork is enjoyed across the United States, Canada, and Mexico. So just a reminder for our listeners, you know, 40% of U.S. pork exported went to either Canada or Mexico. So, I mean, we, they are huge trading partners on the pork and corn side, and, um, Interesting. They, they talk about uh, Tacos al Pastor from Mexico. This I didn't realize. They have their origins in the Lebanese method of cooking meat on a spit referred to as shawarma. I didn't know that. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Well, I uh, will volunteer to eat some pork, so maybe we can uh, increase the domestic consumption as well. Right. I'm kind of craving some Tacos al Pastor right now. I might have to <laughs> find some for lunch. I don't know. Tacos can be a sketchy business sometimes. No, they cannot. As long as your meat is cooked professionally, then you are in good shape. 145 degrees. That's right. A safe and savory 145. It used to be, back in the old days, the bad old days, a safe and savory 160. But now we've realized because our pork production methods have gotten so safe and we were producing such high-quality pork, you can cook it to 145 and still have that tender juiciness in your pork and uh, enjoy all of that wonderful porky flavor. Yeah, and speaking of food preparedness and food safety, I don't remember where I read this the other day, but I was reading an article because, okay, let's be honest, I am not somebody that's great about adhering to expiration dates. I think you and I have talked about this before, like milk, I'll go maybe a couple days past, cottage cheese. That's disgusting. I, I know, I know. And some people think it's disgusting and some people are like, eh, it's a suggestion. But yeah. I read this article this weekend that was talking about egg expiration dates. And they said, this article said that the egg expiration dates are simply the date that the stores have to take it off the shelf, but eggs are good for up to two weeks past that expiration date listed on the egg carton. 
Or, you know what you can do? Because eggs are phenomenally cheap this year, egg producers are really struggling to make a living. If your eggs are hitting that expiration date, chuck them out and go buy some fresh eggs. Support the American egg farmer. Okay, but I'm just saying you can safely eat them. Chuck them out and go buy some new ones. I trust those dates. Okay. I, I have eaten or I've drank bad milk, and it scarred me for life. And I adhere to expiration dates religiously ever since then. That's fair. I guess I just haven't had that experience yet. Although one and time, I pray you never will. One time we ate cottage cheese that was like two weeks past expiration, and I ate it and didn't notice a difference. And my boyfriend was like, oh my gosh, this tastes disgusting. And then he looked Ugh. at the carton, and it was like two weeks past. So maybe it's Ugh. just my taste buds. Yeah, maybe. And cottage cheese, I'll be honest, is one of those things. It's not quite on the no-eat list like sweet potatoes are for me. But uh, I just, it's the consistency. I just can't quite do cottage cheese, even with salt and pepper. I just, I would rather not. I'll eat it, but I'll never order it. That's okay. I know a lot of people like that. Yeah. Well, that is the update on the news. Delaney, what do you say? Should we jump in and see where the market price is wrapped up for the day before we talk to uh, Mr. Toy? Well, gosh, I uh, hate to look at the markets today, but I suppose we better rip that Band-Aid off. All right, Delaney. Well, let's take a look at the markets. And yes, it was a terrible day for producers of cash grains. It was a great day for end users. And sometimes you need to have additional insight into the markets. And you can get the marketing knowledge you need to market by calling our friends at agmarket.net. You can reach them at 815-893-7443. It was a down day in the grains today. December corn dropped four cents to finish at 373 and a quarter. The March contract down four and a half, closed at 382 even. Soybeans, big down day. November dropped 13 and a half cents to close at 906 even. The January contract was down 14 cents to finish at 917 even. In Chicago wheat, the December contract was down by four cents at 506 and a quarter. The March down three and a half to finish at 511 and a quarter. Jumping over to the world of livestock, it seems as though the cattle complex caught a bid. December live cattle up 62 and a half cents at 119.8750. The February up 65 cents to finish at 125.6750. Feeder cattle November up 57 and a half cents at 147.5750. January contract up a dollar 25. Close the day at 147.1250. Lean hogs a little bit of a setback today. The December contract was down 82 and a half cents at 63.30. The February down 17 and a half cents to close the day at 73.72 and a half. And in dairy, big move to the upside. November contract up 14. Cents at 2016. The December up a dime. Finish the day at 1919. Without further ado, let's get our good friend Garrett Toy on the line and hear what he has to say about what these market prices might mean. Well, as promised, we've got Garrett Toy from Ag Trader Talk joining us today. Garrett, how you doing today? I'm doing great, Mike. You? Well, you know, not too bad, not too bad. I tell you what, I was watching the markets today, and it seemed like this soybean market just kind of fell apart. We started off a little weak, and then the weakness just snowballed. What happened today in soybeans? Sure. I think that the die has been kind of cast in soybeans the last week to 10 days. Um, you've got the combination of, you know, it's the only market, you know, from a, from a farmer perspective, soybeans was probably their biggest trick because the funds maintain a pretty good-sized long position in here. Um, but I think this die has kind of been cast here a week to 10 days or so. I mean, the bean spread's been weak. Um, and I had mentioned you know, in, in prior conversations that 
you know, the, the bean market was sending mixed messages where the, the bean spreads were collapsing, but U.S. markets, U.S. cash markets are actually firmer. Um, and I think the, the flat price was trying to determine what was going on here. And I think, you know, a combination of the South American uh, weather forecast turning water, um, you know, you'd had this weakness in the Real, which we actually traded to like 417, 418 level. So this weakness looks like it could start slowing here a little bit. So maybe we put a bottom in here, but, you know, that's just enough to kind of push this fun long uh, out the door. The spread's been weaker. You know, it does, you know, the, the perceived weather risk in South America, which, you know, to me, it actually tells me that we're probably trading a little bit more South American weather than what people maybe have realized, the grayness and the, and the late planning and that sort of thing. Um, and, um, you know, so we, we've seen the funds kind of head for the door here. So. And Garrett, we had the WASDE report out on Friday, so we haven't had a chance to chat with anybody about the market since then. Is some of the fallout today from that WASDE report that was uh, given out on Friday? Um, I think perhaps a little bit. Um, I, I think the market was expecting a bigger cut uh, in, in U.S. soybean yield, and, and they left yield unchanged. Um, you know, and I think that you look at the private yield reports, I mean, it does suggest a, a bigger cut coming, but you have to also consider the time of year for a lot of these professional traders. You know, we, we won't get a supply update in December. It's only demand. The South, South American weather looks fairly benign for now. Um, you might be having some people book profits, and, and then December is going to get fairly quiet because um, you can't make your year in December, but you, you can sure as heck lose your year in December if you're, if you're messing around in the marketplace. So um, I, I think as far as the U.S. report, I mean, it was, uh, again, I don't, think it was a, I don't think it was a bearish bean report. Um, you know, because we had a, a small surprise increase or decrease in, in uh, crush, which increased uh, the carryout. But um, it, it was a neutral report, but it was versus expectations. And I think the trade is looking for a bigger supply cut now. And now, you know, they've got two months to wait for the next supply update. Um, and, and South American weather looks fine. And, and I think seasonalities come into play as well. I mean, even though we've had all the issues that we've had, you know, this year with the delayed plantings and the prevent plant and the, you know, the wetness and getting the crop in, you know, if you look at like a seasonality of December corn chart, you know, um, you know, last five years we've sold off into Thanksgiving, you know, and, and it, it sure as heck looks like we're going to do that again. And, and um, you know, probably if, 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 if the last five years are any indication, we probably rally into Christmas and it's just the seasonality of how things are going in here. Even though, Garrett, when you take a look around the countryside, we are seeing incredible tightness of basis at most places. And, you know, we've heard, referred some places like ADM offering free drying services to get corn in the door. I mean, even with those factors in place, you still think we're going to continue to see this thing sell off for the next two weeks? Um, the the market can it, it, the market can divorce itself. I mean, if the market is looking at a bean long that's liquidating, and and it's looking at world supplies, um, then it becomes a regional issue, and the U.S. is a regional issue uh, where basis and spreads are going to try to do the work, in my opinion. Um, you know, and I think we've seen some cash movement. You know, the barge freight brokers last week were were saying that we finally you know saw the, the busiest movement that we that we've seen um, 
you know, in, in at least two months in reality throughout harvest. So I think we got spread to a point where we did see some cash move and maybe fulfill that. But, you know, we know coming in, you know, the step one stocks report, you know, the commercial is pretty tapped as it is. So um, if the commercial is, is making the move on these spread moves, you know, these March into eight, this, you know, like you mentioned, the, the ADM free drying, which, you know, it should note, you know, assuming normal drying, that's, a, that's the equivalent of about a 12 cent basis push. But they did kind of break their basis when they announced that. But now, you know, I think today uh, they went back to those other values. So now we're actually into some new territory here um, where they're back to like that 20 over bid. I think I saw Decatur went to 20 over today. And they're doing the free drying. They extend the free drying. So that's essentially, you know, that's what, 32 over. I mean, that's that's a pretty decent, you know, and those are, those guys are, are, are uh, um, fairly well off of harvest. But, you know, that's a pretty de- decent basis bid this time of year. So um, I think that I think they know, I mean, the farmer, you know, the basis is going to do it. it you know, it, we, we don't have a supply shock. My bias um, was that any sort of supply, you know, you know, uh, shock and last Friday's report would be an opportunity to sell because really, you know, we're not going to have any more supplies. Supplies the bullish story, right? Um, mm-hmm. and, and we and we just don't have anything until now January. You know, now nobody will want to be short going into that January crop report. So, you know, like I said, we see some short carving into December and into January. Um, we'll prep ourselves for the January report, but you know, the base is going to have to do some work. The spreads are going to have to do some work because the farmers got things locked away. Um, you know, they, they probably don't need cash. We've got, you know, MFP payments coming within the next couple of weeks. Um, and, uh, so the these people that have to buy grain, these grain buyers, uh, are going to have to show them something, you know, they're going to have to make it worth their while to, you know, fire up those trucks in eight degree weather and, and, and deliver that corn, you know, I mean, it's, 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 that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, you know, and that, that can only get better if flat price decides it doesn't want to go. I mean, the funds are short. Um, they're making money right now. Uh, we, we've got, you know, at an eight or nine cent carry in these marks, we're not really putting under any pressure on them not to roll that, that, that spread or that roll that short, short forward. Um, because we do have increased storage rates coming here in December. So, um, you know, it, it's, it's, you know, basis is going to, they're going to have to do something. It's going to have, something's going to have to break. Well, Garrett, it seems like the other thing that's going to have to break is what's been going on in the export markets, particularly related to corn. I mean, they've been dismal at best. You look at the weekly sales yep. each week and they're just not there. I mean, is is it a factor of corn needing to be priced cheaper or something else to get this demand picked back up? I, I think we're, it's, it's, corn has to price itself into an export market. Um, we're getting there. We're close. Um, ever since the Argentine elections, you know, these, basically our biggest competitors this year has been Argentina and to a lesser ex- extent, Ukraine. You know, we really don't see Brazil as a, as if, well, Brazil is a big exporter during the summer months. And that's part of the reason that we're kind of in this predicament uh, to begin with. Um, but, you know, through the, out this, this, um, the election process in South America and the potential policy changes there, um, what that, that was, uh, you know, 10 days, two weeks ago when that election was, uh, Argentine values have been, done nothing but firming. Um, you know, in fact, this morning, you know, I run, you know, a, a part of a corn spread letter that I talk about or every, that I run every week. 
Um, you know, our uh, you know, U.S. corn is actually a dollar twenty a ton cheaper than Brazil for December. We're basically the same price as Brazil for December and January, um, and we're within five to seven dollars for Argentine corn. You know, uh, three weeks ago we were probably twenty dollars more expensive than Argentine corn. Oh wow! So we've so seen we've quite re- a reversal. We've we've seen we've narrowed that gap. You know, we you know that's you know I. The current export commitment pace is running. You know, you look at export, census exports and the monthly inspections for for October. We're running worse than 2012. I mean, it's bad, but now's probably not the time to get really bearish on exports um, because the, we we should be turning the corner. Now, that being said, is you know perception. Obviously, on Friday's report, you know the USDA only cut exports by 50 million bushel, but we're you know you know it's accounting for that new number, we're, we're still running 350 million bushel behind the pace needed. So we, we need to do some business or else there's going to be more cuts coming. And, and hopefully we can get some more business done and on the books between now and that January crop report, because, you know, I think this corn yield's coming down further. You know, I mean, you look at historically speaking, you know, whichever direction they go in Nove, you know, if they cut in November, or the increase in November is typically what they do in January. So if they cut in November, then we should see a cut in corn yield in uh, in January. Beans, it was a lot easier um, if they would have cut bean yield. <laughs> you know, if right. they cut bean yield, if they would have cut bean yield, then we were fairly well guaranteed that they were that they would cut again in January. But you know, with leaving us unchanged. We only have one other year to compare to, um, and and they 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 decreased about a half bushel that year. I think it was 2017. Um, so, uh, in reality, I mean, it would have been easier uh, if they would have cut bean yields for sure to see what they're going to do. But I think honestly, there's not enough bean harvest out there data that they just uh, they they don't know yet. You know, I mean, we've got a little bean, we've got a lot of beans standing out in the field around here just because they're so wet. So. We do. I was just talking to a producer who said they were talking to friends of theirs down uh, not too far from Hannibal, Missouri, and there are still beans with green leaves on them that have frozen. You know, I mean, it's, it's just frustrating for a lot of people. But yeah. Garrett, I think we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about this rally that's happening in the cattle market. Looking out at the February mm-hmm. live cattle contract, we are getting awfully close to contract highs. We're within a buck now, we're within 70 cents of contract highs. What is going on here? Why why does this market continue to just steamroll higher and higher and higher? Well, I mean, you know, we've got the we've got the Tyson Hole complaint. It's supposed to come back online in January, right? And and everybody's everyone's talking that's gonna come back online in December. But you know, you've got packer margins at what, three hundred and sixty bucks ahead, something like that. I mean mm-hmm. the, the packer margins are huge. So uh is that telling us that this demand is holding up too? Um, so, I mean, in reality, I mean, at the end of the day, is this, is this a demand-led rally, you know, is what we're trying to figure out. Because, I mean, you look at that plant fire, I mean, that's three months ago, and prices have done nothing but rallied out of it since then, you know, other than the initial knee-jerk reaction, you know, where, where everybody, you know, Mike, you know, I mean, when, when, when things like this happen, you know, it, it was I, I remember the, the Japanese uh, earthquake, uh, you know, that's probably been 10 years ago you know when Mm -hmm. when things like this happen when things like this happen people don't really know what's going on if they've got risk on the table they immediately remove that risk just just to kind of step back and see what's going to happen 
And, and I think you might've seen some of that on the break on the knee jerk reaction off the fire, but here, you know, I think this is, you know, I point signs are really kind of pointing to a, a demand led rally here. And Garrett, is it the same story when you look at the feeder cattle markets? Um, I think I, in reality, I mean, it's, it, you're getting some follow through support from the fast, obviously, but I think the feeders are, are just really kind of tied to the corn market breaking down here. Makes a lot of sense. And finally, before we let you go, Garrett, we've seen the lean hog contract looking at the December lean hogs bouncing off that $63 level of support now for geez, Gosh, it feels like it's been two weeks. We've been trying to bounce off of it and not having a whole lot of success maintaining any upward movement. Do we just need some kind of an ink deal with China to really get this hog market fired up? It, it sure seems like it. I mean, I can, I can, I can, I can, I can label lean hog market right next to USDA as the things that disappointed me the most <laughs> in 2019 because this hog market has probably been one of the more frustrating markets uh, that that I've seen and traded this year. Um, you know, you've got packer margins for hogs around 70 bucks a head. Um, you know, we've, we've got China with about 150,000 metric ton of outstanding sales, you know, as of last week. We've got eight more weeks in the marking year. If they take what they took last week, I mean, we're going to we're gonna have to roll around 70,000 tons in the new marking year. It's not uncommon, but, you know, that's, that's something to prepare the market for, uh, I think. Um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, Penn State's probably going to be a premium next year if, if this paleen racto free issue continues it's going to take two to three weeks longer to get hogs to market weight so yeah i i i don't want to be caught being a eternal optimist here on this hog market because lord knows it's been a frustrating year um but it's a good sign seeing the 63 i mean i think the seasonals out here um you know, again, you know, the hog market's kind of been fairly similar to the fairly similar similar to corn where there's big expectations, but it's underperformed. And, um, you know, if you look at you, you look at seasonality of, say, December, you know, um, we really kind of need to hold the 63 or else we're going to 60. You know, I mean, just based on seasonals. And then maybe we can stage a Christmas rally if cash can happen to show some show some signs of life here. So, Geez, going to 60. All right, Garrett, before we let you uh, go, how can uh, folks get a hold of you if they'd like to pick your brain a little bit more? Sure, love talking markets. Give me a call at 888-745-2080. Awesome. Garrett, thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. As always, a big thanks to Garrett there from Ag Trader Talk for taking the time to really dig into the numbers and the spreads. Always appreciate that kind of insight, Delaney. We always learn something when we have uh, Mr. Toy on, don't we? Mike, we always learn something every day, whether it's uh, some sort of street education from you or from our interview for the day. I like that, street education. Yeah, that's, you like uh, that? That's my background. It's my bailiwick. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Right, because I'm I'm from the streets. I am the epitome of thug life, as our listeners are <laughs> well, well that aware. that is not exactly what I meant. I just meant like your common sense street knowledge of things. Word, word. No, I, I feel you, dog. <laughs> well, if they would like to get caught up on any of our past episodes... Folks, you can find us on globalagnetwork.com slash agnewsdaily to listen to any of our past episodes there. Or you can always interact with us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at agnewsdaily. Mike, with that, should we let the people go? 
Faux shizzle. <laughs>